Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to the final game podcast of the season. We're so excited that this is our last podcast that, as a special occasion, we have not one, not two, not three, but four guests in the studio. One of them uninvited. I'll let you guess which one. (laughs) Among our invited guests are Allison Rudd, who, of course, won the uh, listeners poll as favorite podcast guest this season. Also, we have... Matt Hughes, everybody's favorite Huddersfield supporter, and making his way down from the far north, that is Anfield, it's Julian Lawrence. Also with us is Rory Smith, who uh, returned quickly from his nuptials, right? Yeah. Couldn't wait to get back, could you? <laughs> I have a job to do. Exactly. Exactly. I'll let you guys guess who, was, who the unexpected guest was. We'll be talking a bit of FIFA, but first, let's talk about the FA Cup and its enduring magic. Matt, he starts Theo Walcott over Olivier Giroud uh, up front, and obviously he wins 4-0, Walcott scores, so it's all good. I don't think Olivier Giroud is as horrible a player as many people suggest. I really don't. And I especially don't understand this idea that Giroud's not there, I play Walcott. I mean, totally different skill set. I don't think Walcott's a long-term answer at, at center forward, but hey, uh, what's your take? Giroud is not as bad as people think, but he's not as good as some other people say either. I think he's a very good centre-forward with, with limitations. I think it was as simple as Wenger picking the man in form, which happened to be Theo Walcott. Um, Giroud's looked tired last few months. Theo's got a hat-trick the week before. It was a pragmatic decision to, to, to pick him, and it, it paid off. Maybe Wenger just knew it didn't really matter who he picked. Yeah, that was kind of my thing, because if you play Walcott instead of Giroud, then the way you play becomes different, right? Yeah, but this is not a manager who sort of strategises and picks, picks, looks at games as a sort of um, a battle and thinks about the best way to, to win. He just kind of picks the players he likes, isn't he? He's quite old school in that respect. Is that usually is that not a very tactical? Just kind of picks the guys you want because guy put on your bibs, go out there. <laughs> no, is that, is, that, is that what you're saying? Well, a little bit. I'm being slightly facetious, but he's not Jose Mourinho. He doesn't pick a team for a specific opponent. He picks what he would regard to be his. Well, I know. Giroud's been his starter all year, right? When, when he's sure, not but he's injured. not been playing particularly well, and he's been tired because he's been since November. He's played pretty much every game, mm. and as last season. It's, it's caught up with him. Last season, he started in August and played till about January, February, had those issues and looked exhausted. Um, and it's been the same this year, really. He came back and was really good, but um, he's, he's looked knackered the last couple of months. Yeah, he hadn't scored for eight, go- eight games before before Saturday, Giroud. So, you know, there's a way, there's a sense, like like I said, that he, he picked Walker, who was, who was more informed with the hat trick the week before. I think, you know, he thought that the pace of Walker would be very useful in that game and and I think he was but they, they could even have used him even better and because Villa played with such a high line at the back I thought it was completely stupid from them and from Sherwood to, to have that game plan in place and credit to, to Wenger if he saw it coming Anybody want to defend Sherwood and his high line and the logic behind it? I'm looking at you, Roy. <laughs> it's beyond even your powers. No, I thought it's easy to kind of overanalyze these things, isn't it? Basically, Arsenal are a lot better than Villa. Arsenal played. I think the commentator said they brought their A game, which is just about true. I don't think they needed to bring their A game for more than 40 minutes, to be honest. Villa had nothing. I guess Sherwood's thinking would have been play high, 
press Arsenal off, out of the ball, out of possession, disrupt their rhythm, might work. You, you'd maybe make a case for him saying that it doesn't really matter how Aston Villa defended against Arsenal, the chances are they're going to get found out either way. So maybe that he, he thought that was his best way of, of taking the game to them. But it, just, it looked to me like Villa basically didn't turn up. I think they, they froze on the occasion and it wouldn't really matter how they played, they, they wouldn't get beaten. Did I imagine it? I thought, I really honestly thought Sherwood said he had a tactical surprise up his sleeve before the game. He did say that, didn't he? Did anyone else hear him say that? I think so, yeah. Was that was cut, I couldn't work out what it was. Just Grealish well, it was, maybe, yeah. maybe we're still waiting for it. Maybe it'll come, <laughs> come, come, next come, week. come next with week. Villa Park next season. But, yeah, putting, I mean, putting Alan Hutton on Alexis Sanchez is an act oh. of genius. It's Team Sherwood knows he's rubbish tactically, yeah, we, we all know that. Just go back to basic. It's a cup final. Just make sure you don't concede at least for know, seventy-five minutes and try to nick a goal on the set piece. Something. Don't don't just do something like completely stupid like that. I, I just don't understand. So you want Sherwood to be negative rather than up and at him? No, I want Sherwood to try you want to Sherwood win. Sherwood to shrink back and cower. I want Sherwood to try to win the bloody game, not doing something fancy because he fancies himself a bit of a tactical genius and just go. Yeah, listen, I've got that. This is how we're going to win the game. Just press high and leave 40 yards between your back four and your 52-year-old goalkeeper, and that's going to be fine. We're going to win. Come I thought play, playing in Zodby instead of Anton Lahore was baffling. Totally baffling. Crazy. Even, well, even Westwood ahead of Carlos Sanchez, for me, yeah. was like, made no sense. And then you brought him on at 3 nil down. Defensively. We've talked a lot of Sherwood. Some of us have even given him some love because... He's clever for a footballer and for a former footballer, and he'll come good one day. Although sometimes you see games like this FA Cup final, and it was pretty awful. Tim Sherwood, I mean, you know him better than all of us, Matt, given your really? your past together. <laughs> okay, yeah, he's blushing, he's denying it now. But um, I always imagine, you know, after a loss, lots of managers go and they analyze everything back. They see what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? Do you think? He's sitting here right now, Monday morning, and he stayed up all night. He's all bleary-eyed because he stayed up all night rewatching the video and consulting with his staff. And or do you think he's just like, meh, it's gone. They're better than we are anyway. So I think his, res- his response on Saturday was um, pretty much blame his players. There were almost echoes of that extraordinary press conference at Stamford Bridge when Chelsea beat them, and he completely slaughtered the Spurs players on Saturday at Wembley. You just dropped into the press conference that I've told half the team they're leaving, which is absolutely extraordinary. He's not got much money to spend. He'll sell Benteke and um, use that to strengthen uh, throughout the squad, but he's going to have to take that, whatever, 25, 30 million and use it to buy five or six players. I'm, I'm baffled by the list of players he's told that are leaving. Like, I think we have to accept that so Villa don't have very many good footballers. That's probably fair to say. Villa. There's this thing about Villa like having... Like quite a good side, and they're not where they should be. Villa are. Re- I've seen Villa a lot this season. They're really bad. They've got some bad players. Are we? Are, so are we? All, are you suggesting we're <laughs> overrating the likes of Delph and Benteke and Flar? I, th- I mean, are those the guys? They're kind of all okay, all of them. Benteke, yeah, fine. But he he kind of said so in Ollie K's piece. Was it Ollie? Is it Gary who's written it? I can't remember. Sissoko, fine, terrible. Philip Senderos, fine, terrible. He's going. Matthew Loughton. He's okay. Is, is, is Matthew Lanton the problem at Aston Villa? I don't think he is. Andy, he hasn't played in a while. Andy Vyman. <laughs> of all the players at Villa, why would you look at Andy well, Vyman and think, you are the one I want rid of? And they never played him, did they? I well. really don't get it. It's Carlos Gill. Gill came in in January yeah. and was really good. And then Sherwood obviously decided he didn't like him. He scored that great but goal. But he scored that well. great goal. Yeah. And, you no, know. I saw his debut. I saw, show saw pony, a couple of know. games from Gill. And he was, foot, yeah. But he, he had something about yeah, him. He's not kind of one of those players at Villa that you think, oh yeah, he's definitely not... I just I don't understand 
Tim Sherwood's players he wants rid of selection. It baffles me. Who would you get rid of? I wouldn't get rid of Sherwood. I agree with I you, mean, Sherwood. I think Sherwood's okay. I think he's a mid-table manager. I think he's fine for Villa. Well, he's done a good. You know, he's come in and done his job yeah. really. Yeah, they kind of tailed up, off, kept them up, and got them to a cup final. He exceeded expectations, so yeah. he deserves um, a season or two to show show what he can do. I'm not saying I get rid of Sherwood. I'm just I'm just saying I'm surprised that he's looked at that these squad are the people. and looked at the three or four hey, of those players and thought they have to go. Did he tell Ollie like, "Oh, these are the guys I need to get rid of"? Gary Jacob, I think we should do. Did Gary he tell Freddy. Gary Jacob? King of the transfer like, market, Gary. He's is it one of those things where, like... We do not question Gary Jacobs' information. <laughs> no, no, but, but, but obviously there's a difference between, you know, making that information come out and coming out and saying it in public, right? If I can just make a point about Jack Grealish, not just because he parted after the defeat until very early in the Sunday morning, but... I was very disappointed. And but you I was, think you shouldn't be partying after a defeat? You think you should be going home? Yeah, Because that's going to help you win the game after Especially with his you know, link with the club and how much he loves the club and everything. I, I don't think... Anyway, he's, you know, he's young and he, he fancied going out with the Arsenal boys and all of that. So, fair enough. But I was very disappointed by his game. And the other day, I went to the Nike Town with my, my son, my six-year-old Raphael, to get him the new front shot. And we saw Jack Grealish at the Nike Town being there for, for people to see him he, he was trying to catch everybody's eyes for people to recognise him and see him and my son said well, he so has a deal with Nike doesn't he uh, yeah, I assume so I, I assume so he, he was paid to be there yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So he was shopping. shopping no he was shopping is this the Nike Town at Oxford Circus yes he you, went to, you went to Nike Town at Oxford Circus yeah my son was there to buy him the new, his new uh, French shirt what day was it Thursday that's alright it was a Thursday after school he loved it he has Varane on the back Number four, he was very happy, and then he spotted Grealish before me. Even he said, "Look, that's Jack Grealish, who was trying to interact with everybody who was there with his shopping done everything." Anyway, and my son said, "Is Jack Grealish any good? Do we like him?" And I said, "Well, I think he's got potential, but I'm I'm not sure. People in this country make him like he's the next Messi, and they want him in for England and all of that. I'm not so sure." I said to him, "Let's see in the cup final if he's any good or not." So we won Grealish watch on Saturday from the stands. And the first few balls obviously was bad from Grealish. So I said at some point, oh, Grealish rubbish. And the rest of the game, every time Grealish touched the ball and did something bad, which he did most of the time, my son shouted, Grealish rubbish, Grealish rubbish, which I thought was so funny and everybody cracked up. <laughs> and I was very disappointed It's always by funnier Grealish when it's your Saturday. own child. I liked that story. Uh, but you. I would also say that is Grealish 19 or 20? 19. He's ridiculously yeah. young. Whatever no, he's not ridiculously young. Hector Bellerin is 20. Now, if you, and obviously, they're different positions. I'm not comparing the way they play. But if you look at the, the composure and the calm and the, the smoothness with which Bellerin, Bellerin has adapted to first-team football and played on, on that stage, you compare that to Grealish, Bellerin is light years ahead of him in his development. I agree with Jules. I think Grealish is clearly talented. Yeah, there's something. But the hype around him is is slightly ridiculous. Yeah, that well, England talk Because he had me. one great game in a cup semi-final at Wembley, it's, mm. it's not a surprise that there's been, it's been hyped. And it's over the top. All right, enough Villa. Let's uh, go back to Arsenal for a second. Um, this is Fenger's sixth FA Cup win, which allows him to draw level alongside somebody named Ramsey. Not Alf, but some other bloke from a long, long time ago. And I confess my... In- is it George Ramsey? George yes. Manager Aston Villa. Okay. It was between like 1897 and... Did he introduce pasta and chicken to England as well? <laughs> <laughs> um, he invented broccoli. I'm wondering, if is, is Wenger going to be one of those guys that we don't appreciate enough and when he's gone we'll be like, oh look, he was actually really good. He won't just be the answer to a trivia question. No, we, we, uh, undoubtedly, when Wenger eventually goes, 
there will be a lot said about what how great he was. And the, the longer the distance between his retirement point and when we're speaking about him, the greater a figure in football he will become. Unless he's winning everything all the time, he's going to come in for criticism. I don't quite get this Wenger underappreciated. He's kind of universally revered in the media particularly. I can't think of any manager who's admired and respected as much in this country. And I think that's particularly extraordinary well, given... You haven't the, spoken the, the, to Duncan Castles, the lack, have you? lack of achievement... <laughs> I meant the media as a whole, not one maverick individual journalist. I don't think Mourinho's right in his assassination of Wenger, but he's right to suggest to say that any other club would not tolerate nine years without a trophy. And the fact that Wenger has done so rel- you know, with relatively small amounts of criticism, I think, is remarkable and is a testament to him. So I don't, I don't see him being underappreciated at all. I, I agree with Husey, but I, th- I think there is a point at which Wenger stopped being... Not overappreciated, but stopped being, yeah, revered's probably the right word, and became just another manager. And I think that might be what is reassessed when he does retire. Well, that there will be a, a point at which people say, actually, do you know what, for all that he was flawed and he didn't do the, everything perfectly, obviously, that maybe he wasn't just another manager. The, the philosophy, the class, everything is just him, you know, and he's got, I think the, the club now is all his input. And I think that's fantastic. And I think it was, it was a good club before. But like you said, he was nowhere near the club it is now, and that's you know thanks to him. And and maybe he could have gone before, and someone else would have come in, and, and it would still be the same, you know. Because I think once the, the DNA is there, it, it will stay even after him. But I think that, and a lot, I think a lot of fans tend to forget. That's that's the essence of fans tend to forget where the club was in '96 when he, he took over Bruce Ryan. You know, it, the club was like very very average at the time, and you know, it not just brought success, but the stadium, like Alison said, the training grounds, the academies, the, the like we said, the philosophy, the, the the image of it, the brand, everything is just, I think it's fantastic and that's down to him. Yeah, there's no doubt that he is, as an architect of a, of a football club, he probably stands alone. For Alex, for Alex Ferguson did something similar but from a much higher base because mm. United had the history, tradition, big stadium kind of already and obviously he's, he took that to another level. I think the frustration amongst Arsenal fans and I think it's understandable is that he could have he could have done more on the pitch the question is whether he can over the next five years take them to the next level where they're really amongst the Champions Elite to do that he probably needs to be a bit more ruthless and spend money again I was discussing this yesterday yesterday with someone else comparing how he used to be so ruthless in the transfer market he used to get rid of the players like Vieira Perez even when they were on the turn he got red now he indulges them he's going to give new contracts to Arteta Flamini Riziki Abu Dhabi really should not still be at Arsenal well that's that, 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 sorry what? come on now just because this complete played for 10 years the point oh. I was trying to make was he used to be very good at recycling re- refreshing the team in the manner of Ferguson I don't think he's I don't think he has done that this year instead of going out and buying a great midfield player he will probably get by with Coquelin and hand contracts to Arteta and Flamini as reserves. And well, I think to take them on, he needs to be more ruthless and ambitious in the transfer market. Uh, we're going to move on in a minute. I, I had one question about the, the striker situation, because reading the media, listening to the punditocracy, people seem to agree, oh, they need a big-name striker. Judging from your face, they're not going to get that. <laughs> That's how we judge all of our transfer rumours at the Times, is, is we run them past Matt Hughes's but, face. You have Walcott, who I presume they're not going to ditch unless they sign Sterling. You have Danny Welbeck, who is an England star, but people seem to have forgotten all about him. And he likes playing striker. He doesn't really like playing on the wing so much. And you have Giroud. And Sanchez. 
Yeah, but yes. Sanchez, want, Sanchez wants to play centre forward. Wants to play centre forward. This, the switch between Walcott and Sanchez at Wembley. 37th minute, three minutes later, they score a goal from Walcott on the left wing and Sanchez flicking the ball in the centre. And I, I think they should have done the switch. Yeah, they should have Sanchez switched isn't earlier. a viable centre forward for a whole Premier League season, is it? No, but he's, uh, no, they don't, they don't, they don't need... You've just named four people who quite, you've quite rightly named four people who can play centre forward. I, I wouldn't say. I look, my favourite transfer rumour of all time is the Arsenal want a, another striker to complement Olivier Giroud. They don't have to spend seventy million euros on Edinson Cavani because he's a he's a natural compliment. For exactly. Yeah. He's a natural exactly. compliment for Ibra. I, I, I wouldn't have said that, that Arsenal with those four options, as you say, if if they get Sterling and Walcott goes, then maybe it changes a little bit. But with those four options, I wouldn't have thought they if kind of a Benzema is available, then maybe that changes it. But I can't. I think Vendor Hughes is dead right. Vendor is always loyal to the players he's got. Okay, so sorry, I just want to understand. So they're not going to sign a defensive midfielder, and they're not going to sign a centre forward. A centre half, maybe. Well, then I think they desperately need a centre half. But it's two, not like two, two, in January two weeks ago, Wenger was saying, "Oh well, we've buckled there. We've got Monreal. We've got we've got Chambers." So he might not he might not sign anyone. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I don't really think need a goal. If he does, he'll half. probably sign another attacking another attacking yeah. midfielder guy, right? Another yeah. another little tricky guy. Because <laughs> they don't have enough of those. No, he's going to go team. for a defensive midfielder, surely. Yeah, he will. He will. Yeah, he but will. Hughes, he said that he won't. No, I think it, no, well, no. it might not be Schneider. Schneider's going to United. Yeah, he? French television last night said that he was very close from signing to United. Was it was it the reliable French yes, television the, or was the it the crappy one? Yeah, the reliable. No, because. The reliable. As a former Paris Saint Germain coach, as you guys have, like, when it comes to football, you guys have the worst qualities of all the countries around you. Worst qualities of the Germans, the worst qualities of the English, the worst qualities of the Spanish, and the worst qualities of the Italians. I always take it with a, with a great cum grano salis, as they say. Right, who wants to talk about FIFA and corruption? <laughs> Let's all make a joke about Jack Warner. I think it's hilarious. I invite you all when you're finished, or you can even do it while you're listening to us. Go to Jack Warner's Facebook page, and you will find this extraordinary eight-minute soliloquy about how everybody's against him. I should explain. Jack Warner is the disgraced former head of CONCACAF. He's from Trinidad and Tobago. He left FIFA in 2011. He was thrown out. He's one of the people named in the indictments. But he goes on this this incredible rant, basically accusing that, like, you know, I did no worse than everybody else at FIFA, so if you're going to go after me, you got to go after everybody else. And then he says, see, look, this is a plot by the U.S. and FIFA already caving in because they're going to hold a special World Cup in 2015 in the United States. And he cites as his evidence a newspaper called The Onion. And if you're familiar with The Onion, The Onion is a satirical newspaper. The news in The Onion is not real. (laughs) So this is kind of the level that we're at, and we can all joke about that. But I I wanted to get a sense, without getting too technical in the ins and outs, because I'm assuming it would bore all of you. Um, Oh, you're laughing. Are you not bored? Do you want to talk FIFA committees? And I love Exco. Okay, now... FIFA Congress is my cup final. (laughs) (laughs) Sepp Blatter was re-elected president of, of FIFA, right? We're all clear why he keeps getting re-elected. He continues getting re-elected because he's very popular in certain parts of the world that are perhaps slightly less preoccupied with corruption and slightly more preoccupied with paying the bills. And Sepp Blatter has always been very good to them, and there's a whole historical context to it as well, because the guy who was president before uh, Blatter was Joe Havelines, but the guy before him was uh, Stanley Rouse, who was this adorable 
uh, man who, of course, backed the apartheid regime in South Africa and came up with such brilliant ideas when the whole world was boycotting South Africa because of the apartheid era, said, um, well, no, they really should be included in the World Cup. And when people didn't like that, it says, oh, I have an idea. Why don't they play? We can play one World Cup with black players and one World Cup with white players. And, you know, these were kind of solutions he came up with. So you can kind of see how, relative to that, especially in Africa and in Asia, somebody like Blatter would be would be popular because he devolved power. That's, um, that's all well and good, but is it not a bit insulting? You you will all have followed this in, in, in infinitely more detail than I have. You're all on your honeymoon, so... Is, I mean, it, is it not a bit insulting? I'm surprised you weren't streaming from FIFA.com all week. Okay, is it, she's a big fan of the, uh, the live FIFA stream. Um, <laughs> the, is it not a bit insulting to the African nations to, to, to suggest that they can't work out that things like the Dole Project are not entirely dependent on, on Sepp Blatter. I refuse to believe that every single sort of Congress member from an African country is thinking, oh, well, if we don't elect Blatter, they won't give us any more money. They, they're not, these people aren't stupid. Jack Warner seems like he's a bit stupid. But other than him, I refuse to believe the majority of so, people aren't stupid. So there's, there's two factors, I think, to answer that question. The first one is that confederations are very big on block voting. Um, like in Eurovision. Exactly. <laughs> no, but even... No, even, not, even not UEFA this week. What? Not UEFA last week. No, but they want it to be. And, oh, and, yeah. and Platini's angry, and I can guarantee you there will be repercussions uh, for some countries like France, say, who uh, uh, who didn't Let's not go there. Platini's candidate. Yeah. Um, but obviously, if you can block vote, it gives you as a confederation more power, right? So that's been kind of the thing with Africa, that Issa Hayatu, who's the head of the African Confederation, delivers, what, 54, 56 votes, however many they are. The other thing, I think people have realized that the way you get a lot of these countries to to support you isn't by going on and on and on about corruption and Heidi Blake and Andrew Jennings and, and how many documents did the AFC sell to you so that you could expose all this malfeasance, because a lot of these people are pretty cynical and they kind of assume that everybody's corrupt anyway. But the way to do it is just say, listen, corruption costs you money. Corruption, waste, money that goes to build, you know, Jack Warner's swimming pool is money that doesn't go back to in development. That's why, like, Prince Ali made the point that development money to that part of the world was actually going to increase. You know, they look at UEFA, right? And UEFA gives a lot of money back. But by the same token, UEFA's biggest money maker is the Champions League. Is that money equally divided? No. Where does it go? It goes to the wealthiest clubs in the wealthiest countries. And if I'm Burundi, I might say, eh, I'll probably never qualify for the World Cup. And who's to say, you know, Germany or the U.S. or some country that does very well in the World Cup or has a very big TV contract and to say, listen, we supply most of your TV revenue. Can we, shouldn't we get it back rather than these people in Burundi who, you know, supply squat? I think, I think that's the issue. Well, Blatter has been very clever. People forget that. He's been very, he looks after his constituents. He's the ultimate politician. He's the president of everybody. He there's is. No, there's no point. Why, why waste time trying to convince a cynical Europe that you're squeaky clean, you don't need to do it. So why waste time? He's devoted his time to making sure he's expanded football into areas where they didn't have it and proving to them that if you embrace football, you will get money to build infrastructure, which doesn't just mean building a football stadium. It means building up facilities around those stadiums, homes, water, irrigation. There are whole communities reliant totally on what they th they see as, as the wonder that is Blatter. He's been incredibly clever about it. It might start to unravel now, but he's been there a long time doing it well. 
Um, actually, first, Julia, you, you mentioned it. France did not, just for those who are curious, Platini obviously is French. Yeah. And he delivered Euro 2016. This is the part I don't understand. <laughs> he delivered Euro 2016 to France. He lobbied hard for it. Yeah. But then the president of the French Federation, Mr. Legray, is yeah. that his name? Yeah, Christmas uh, Legrette. He ends up backing Seth Blatter. He says he's going to vote for Blatter, and he goes, presumably votes for Blatter. Yeah. Supposedly because he wants the... 2019 World Cup in France, some sort of gratitude for that. Yeah, what, what, we what, think so. What's the deal with this guy? Like weird, really weird. He's, he's same age as Blatter. He's very political as well in France. He's always, you know, done things to to make sure that he was on top of everything. He he had he led Guingamp, his, his hometown, his club. He was mayor of the city, and you know went to the league and to the federation, and was always very successful and by being very manipulative and everything. And I, and I just think him and Blatter are friends. They've been friends for a long time, and I just think that he just went for his mate. They find it hard to swallow this sort of narrative of Platini being the white knight and the champion of reform. He was like that with Blatter for years and years. They only fell out when Blatter reneged on his pledged to stand down for Platini to take over which was, was the plan four years ago Blatter changed his mind they've since fallen out Platini also voted for Qatar because Sarkozy told him to yeah. um, so his attempt to kind of paint himself as the sort of champion of um, transparency and reform is, is sort of rankles a bit to be honest it'll be fascinating to see what he does this week in Berlin and if he can you know, get the European team back together again because I think he's going to struggle when you say put the European team back together well, what do you mean? to, to, unite, to, to unite Europe against to, to form a cohesive front uh, in Europe again against FIFA, which uh, how is he going to get the Russians involved? Yeah. For example, well, I don't think he will get the Russians involved. No. But I mean, neither, that's, neither the French. What would you like him to do? What what could he do? Well, I don't think we can do anything, as Alison suggested. I think in you in the Greg West, Dyke thinks he the, knows what we can yeah, do. Well, Greg Dyke, along with many people, suffers from delusions of grandeur. I think we've just finally, finally realised after years of trying to win World Cups that England are basically irrelevant in the sort of FIFA landscape and having realised that I think Except we might, we, we, we might, we might realise quite soon that you, Europe is irrelevant as well, it's only 50 countries 18 of them voted for SEP so what, what can UEFA do? The talk of a boycott is, is fanciful who's going who's to walk away from the World Cup? Do, and do, it, do you not think as well that I'm, I'm, this is the thing that has always sort of got, got me about all the FIFA nonsense, and no, no one's saying it's right or that it's good or we should, leave, you know, be happy with it or whatever. But to the to the average fan, in you even in Europe, it doesn't really affect them who's in charge of FIFA and who's giving backhanders to who does it. I mean, all right, England aren't going to get the World Cup, but to be honest, even if it was a level playing field, I'm not sure England would get the World Cup because there are plenty of other countries out there who can host the World Cup. If say say you got the Germans, the Dutch, the, the Italians on board and said, right, four or five of the major nations in world football are going to boycott the World Cup because we are objecting to FIFA's corruption. And the US and Japan and, the US and, and Japan. Australia. Fine. So all seven. Fine. Great. Lovely, brilliant, kind of, aren't we great? Aren't we pure? Isn't everything we do fantastic? The fan, I don't know if fans would accept that if it was just to get rid of some of, of, a, a corruption that I don't think they think really affects them. I think there's a core of people who are really bothered by it, and as they should be, but fans who just want to watch England in the World Cup, are they that fussed? Okay, so this being the case, Alison, do you absolutely mean, are you as negative about the possibilities of, of a boycott or a statement or a guy who I think is really good but works for a different newspaper, but I'll name check him anyway, named Ian Herbert. He wrote a piece saying that the players could make a difference if active players, active managers took a stand. Is that being fanciful? I'm sure it'd make a huge difference, but it's not going to happen. Because the the wonder that is football transcends all. 
ironically what the, the past week's events have shown is how in a minority said states in europe are when they get and in america get so upset about corruption corruption is um a very a very covers a wide range of things it, it's not it's not just about the seedy backhander there's there's, there's much more to it than that, that that goes on it's about promises and who you know and power and the good things that come out of it like helping communities just live healthier lives because they've got money that they didn't have before and the remarkable thing is um, amidst all the seediness at the end of every four years there is a wonderful wonderful event that is run incredibly smoothly and there are never any boycotts it is no player ever ever speaks politically before during or after a world cup i think you'll find diego maradona did and has done many times also, he's not taken extremely seriously. Romario. Exactly. I think Romario. Oh. Yeah, Romario. Yeah, after he after retires after and he's, retired, and he's yeah. got congressional immunity, you know, yeah, that's a slightly different. I think, um, I think England should push hard for a boycott. Get all the big, big countries, Brazil, Argentina, Italy, France, Spain, Portugal, everybody for the boycott. And at the last minute, they drop out of the boycott and they go to the World Cup. They're the only big team in the World Cup. They win it. <laughs> after 100 years, they win it. That is kind that's of amazing strategy, idea. Because like, remember last time, like... like David Bernstein, like, he, they ended up abstaining and he gives a speech. It's kind of like, haha, for the safety of my situation. He's, he's like those sort of like Twitter trolls. Like, you know, you know, there's not going to be any consequences because you're not doing anything, anything serious. But in the current landscape, if they did move, I think you could stage an alternative, an alternative World Cup. And I think you could get the money to make it significant. And I think you could damage the current World Cup enough that it would force it would force FIFA to the table. So what would be the tipping point? How many countries would you need and who would get credible? Because as Alison says, football is unique. It's a truly global sport. We've seen splits in other sports, cricket or whatever. Um, in various codes of rugby, they go off and play their own thing. The Packer Circus in the 70s. But that was like seven countries, so you could set up your own little league. And right. how, can you, how can you go... The, the beauty of the World Cup is it's the World Cup. Once it ceases to involve... Everyone, it's it's just not it's not the same. Well, a you could still invite everybody, and obviously people under Blatter's thumb wouldn't come. But I think if you had a, a, a hardcore of major rights holders, major markets going from east to west, Japan, Korea, Australia, I think Japan you can bring on board. Australia is on board. Korea maybe slightly sketchier. You try China, they'd say no. Who from South America? I think Uruguay is a, is is almost nailed on. I mean, they 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 went. That they, they came out in yeah. favor of, of Prince Ali. As did Argentina, didn't they? Argentina voted Ali. Yeah, it was just a bit like they kind of said, yeah, well, maybe we did, maybe we didn't. It gets unclear. But there is the mood inside. I mean, you could, you certainly have a yeah. shot with both Argentina and Brazil. I mean, Brazil, you have a situation where the last four people running Brazilian football, one of them's dead, one of them's in prison, <laughs> one of them's indicted, and the, uh, the fourth and is the a fugitive, right? So <laughs> have you seen the footage of Marin taking the, the medal from the kid? Ma- Ma- Marin, who was pre- is either president now or president last but one of the CBS? Last but one, maybe. Last but one. Yeah handing out medals at like a kids football tournament and there's footage of him like just pocketing like a <laughs> pocketing <laughs> a medal yeah, yeah he was also involved with the military junta which was less funny but there's uh, a lot of the past, there's, yeah. there's a lot of genuine but, anger in South America there's a lot of the people involved in the in the bribery scandal 
are taking South American money. It's, of course. It's, so there, there's genuine and across yeah, I, South America. We should, we should be clear on this, that the money that these people were, were uh, one of the guys who were indicted, we should be clear, too, that, that these people were invited. The, the money that they were taking was money from their confederation. So come CONCACAF money, Commable money. It's not like they were stealing money from the FIFA coffers, necessarily, although it would have presumably trickled down. But yeah, you, you get the U.S., I think, in Europe, Germany, Holland, <laughs> Italy will follow the, the wind. Portugal, I yeah. think, is, 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 is a decent shout. Once you get a tipping point, you get 16 at that teams, stage, 16 you know, what do you do? Have a World Cup with, like, you know, there's Russia a, playing there's Nigeria? A, there's a massive difference between voting for another candidate in a secret ballot and then walking out of a World Cup. I mean, But you threaten to do it. You set yeah. it up. You sell the TV rights. You make it all conditional. You bring them to the table. If you believe in it, that's at some point you have to do. You have to have a credible threat. Right, if if you're going to go down that road, and you have to consider the repercussions. One obvious repercussion is that we would be in an enormous, enormous legal mess when it comes to transfers, player status, and so on. And I actually think that might be a positive because right now FIFA runs international transfers. Personally, I think the individual confederations should run them, and FIFA should just kind of monitor from a distance and resolve disputes. That would be another huge move, I think, towards greater transparency. You could bring stuff like that to the table. And you could negotiate if there's a political will to do that. And frankly, you know, you don't need 54. In fact, I think it's better if we kind of show that there is some level of dissent in Europe and not everybody's on board with it. There's not everybody just like marching in lockstep as happens, you know, in other in other confederations. Who will Panini go for? Sorry? Panini. What, what work up with the bike? Double their profit. They got oh, two, two, two Panini albums and stickers. Can that, you imagine? I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. <laughs> that would keep you busy. No, I mean, you could have... You could have how you much got a six-year-old son. It cost you a fortune. It cost me. Oh, last summer it cost me. A, yeah, an arm. Sixty-four. <laughs> and then you could have two World Cups. You'd have sixty-four teams. For him. Sixty-four nations. That'd be, that'd be, I mean, it's a lot of uh, swap swap deals to do in Paninis. Do you think that if we had two World Cups, Scotland would get into one? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and you're allowed to mark Scotland because I'm half Scottish. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And who, but who is going to lead this campaign for a, an alternative, uh, clean World Cup when the only the only person who went up against Blatter was a, a, a relatively young, unknown prince who had very little commi- <laughs> very little charisma. You need someone massive football. All right, Greg Dyke. Diego Maradona, David Ginola. Oh. That's your three. That's, that's your triumvirate. The eighteen. But to, to be fair to the relatively unknown guy, he has been a FIFA vice president for the last four years. Lacks charisma. Okay, but I mean, it doesn't make him a bad administrator, right? No, but he's not. I, <laughs> Probably helps, I mean, doesn't it? Not having charisma yeah. to be an administrator. I just, I just didn't. You feel? Didn't you feel he just ended up looking quite isolated and? He had 73 votes, which he, I think is a pretty much remarkable... better than he thought he was going to do, yeah. But they, they were anti-Blatter votes. They weren't pro-him-as-a-candidate votes. You need somebody... I just feel if, you, if you're going to... If this plan of, a, of an, a way to oust Blatter with an alternative World Cup, you need someone remarkably now famous be, with, with everyone adores. Now oh. it can be revealed. There were three candidates, obviously, standing against Blatter. Luis Figo, Michael Van Praag and Prince Ali. Luis Figo and Michael Van Praag stepped aside because they figured that they would have less chance of winning than Prince Ali. They certainly felt that Prince Ali was their best shot, and that's why they all got together and backed him and, and put their weight behind him. Obviously, it doesn't help convince France, and you know, <laughs> nah. he, it's you know, no he way. only got seventy-three votes, but you know, it's it's not a bad result given where he started from. One last thing on the indictments. 
the U.S. Department of Justice, there's crimes committed that you can use this legislation to go and arrest people in other countries. I thought that was, that was fascinating, and it kind of occurred to me that, yeah, the U.S. can do it because they have nukes and they're the U.S. I don't know that another country could do it. They're really political. I think someone has to do it. If you don't have every, you can't have the entire kind of liberal Western world bottling all international decisions over and involved. Someone has to take a bit of responsibility. And I'm not saying the Americans are perfect, or that they're kind of that we should all ape their society, but someone ultimately has to take some form of responsibility for maintaining law and justice and what have you. So let's move on to some quick hits. Christian Benteke's contract is winding down, and there are plenty of reports uh, suggesting Villa value him at £35 million. Alison, if you were the transfer committee at Liverpool, you'd be five different people, and you'd all be men. But you'd also be able to decide whether he ought to be coming to Anfield. Your verdict? A stroke of genius, because uh, not only would uh, Rogers make Benteke a better person he uh, would probably has identified him as the ideal candidate to replace Emre Chan at right back wow, wow. I get text some stuff last show of the season but what, what are you being so mean to Rogers because you have some inside information that he will not be the Liverpool manager in a couple of weeks indeed yeah alright quick poll hands up who thinks Brendan Rogers will be the Liverpool manager next season Aha. Uh-huh. So it's it's split down the middle. It's 2-2. Two, two. Can, I, can I say something about... I, I'm not on these quick hits. You're I'm not. not I'm you not in, supposed to be here. I'm not invited. Um, Alison, I don't think Rogers should be Liverpool manager, but I think he will be. Um, I like Liverpool's transfer committee's uh, approach of signing players who are now Premier League proven. If you want to sign players exclusively who are proven in the Premier League, why do you need scouts? Julian's son, Rafa, who I've met, and is, yep. a, lo- is a lovely person can tell you the names of four or five good players in the Premier League. You don't need to employ people to do it. So I implore FSG, if you're going to sign players who are Premier League proven, sack all of your scouts and reinvest the money in, I don't know, FIFA. Academy development or something. That's an idea, but they're not really going to do that. There Have they said they're only going to buy Premier League proven players? Uh, that appears to be the, uh, the, the priority, yes. Yeah, there's real value in that, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, the season is over and clubs have those old postseason tours. Uh, Manchester City are in the U.S., Spurs and Chelsea are in Australia. They've been somewhere else in, in Asia in the meantime. Hughie, are postseason tours even worse than preseason tours? And I'm assuming you've been on several. Uh, tell us some humorous tales and anecdotes in 25 seconds or less. Um, I can't. I haven't been on any. <laughs> you've never been on a tour? <laughs> I know a postseason tour. We don't tend to value them because they're pretty pointless. And by the end of the season, who cares? Okay, so it's not like it's a great opportunity. Everybody's relaxed and hanging out, and you get to well, spend I would like to go time and holiday to Sydney for a week. But funnily enough, the times don't want to pay for it. <laughs> Is anybody covering these tours? Not really. No, I think Jiggins has gone to st- stalk Harry Kane. I think if they're, if they're relatively close by, some of the tabloids send. But the the reason people don't pre-season tours is just there are interview opportunities with new players or new managers. Those, by their very nature, don't exist on a post-season tour. So no point. No. It's uh, just a corporate commercial shindig, really. Newcastle are pursuing uh-huh. two very different men for their newly vacant manager's job, Patrick Vieira and Steve McLaren. And presumably they'll be pursuing somebody else after they both say no. Uh, but <laughs> Julian, who do you think is a better fit and is either actually viable? Steve who? I've got no time for him. I think Patrick would be a good option. I would like to see Patrick there. I would like to see him in the Premier League as a manager. I'm not sure it would work, but I would like to see him. I'd be curious to see him. I'm just not sure he can work with Ashley, Lee Charney and, and, you know, and all that 
Do you think he would take it? Because if, if I'm Vieira sitting at Man City in a great position, one of the best run clubs in the world, why would you go to Newcastle? Because he, because he can stay at City and not have an opportunity for the next 10 years. Whereas, you know, you go to Newcastle get, then, you do a good job. It's a tough first job, isn't it? That's and it's a tough first job. And I think he's worried. He saw Makalele, I mean, his friend, go to Bastia. And he thought at the time, that's a great idea for Bastia, great for Makalele. You know, he was an assistant before, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. He learned, and after 12 games, he was sacked. But isn't... And, and I think... Can, and Patrick went like, oh, well, maybe it's actually not that great. But to, isn't Bastia also a bit of a zoo of a club? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, it was... I think there was... But yeah, it would be a tough first job. But then, you know, so what do you do? You go for Newcastle as a first job or do you wait for a bigger one, knowing that it's maybe more difficult to go straight into City? I don't know. Leicester City players who nobody has ever heard of film themselves in what the papers described as an orgy and one of them is heard using a racially sensitive term. Is this a mountain or a molehill? It's very depressing. There is this thing where it's cool if you're in a team sport to all have sex with the same woman because it's supposed to bond you together um throw in a bit of racism and you've got footballers on tour at their very worst and i thought we were getting better at educating them it is a reason of a manager as well it is a reason to um to go on a postseason tour though isn't it (laughs) (laughs) it's not so much the orgy i mean that's obviously pretty vile and disgusting but the stupidity of then tending all your mates Pass it to the newspapers. It's just extraordinary. The Women's World Cup will be held this summer, as will the European Under-21s and the Copa America. Uh, Husey, please rank the three in terms of what grabs your interest the most. Uh, well, I'll be covering the 21s in the Czech Republic, so I guess I've got a professional interest in that. Um, beyond that, being honest, I would be amazed if I watched a minute of the other two. Okay, anybody dissent? You, don't want to, you won't have much time. Probably you won't have much time. Yeah, we asked you what would interest you, no? Neither, really. Would you rather go and watch the cricket? Pretty much. Summer, I'm coming old-fashioned, but summers for cricket were more than a bit of athletics. And that's, mm. that's, that's just what Hughesy does, it's not just what he watches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Any dissent on this? And the other 20 World Cup as well is on. Okay, which that, is, that really is, that's, cool, that's cool as well. I yeah. think the Copa America will be fantastic this year. Really, really, really fantastic. I'd, and it's going to be a bit late, so, you know, the missus will be in bed, you know, you can have... The kids will be in bed, the wife will be in bed, and you just... Oh, the husband. I'll watch all three. Thank you. That, that's a mature approach. Alison? Ditto, especially the Women's World Cup. What did you just say that because we expect... I, I purposely threw the question of all the Women's World Cup at Husey, so I wouldn't pigeonhole. Do you really have an interest in this Women's World Cup? Yeah, I've interviewed some of the players. Um, I was really impressed with Germany when I went to watch England v Germany at Wembley for that record sellout match and I've put money on Germany's women to win the World Cup so I do have an interest Aha, uh-huh, yeah. she has a betting interest It matters more if there's money on it Exactly But it's late in the night that <laughs> The moral of today's America. podcast it's late in the is night. With the Cup of America? No, the, the, women, yeah, World Cup, the Women's yeah. World Cup in Canada so you know, well, you have to either stay up or walk up Cup of no. America actually I'm, I'm okay. going out there Like 1994 It's not that bad because I think it's like 5 o'clock local The, the Women's World Cup is the game, some games are like in the middle of the night or really late. Danny Alves is 32 years old. You can sign him on a free transfer. Julien, how do you think this one plays out? And would he make sense as an instant fix right back, say at Manchester United? It's like you were reading Community Chest in Monopoly, wasn't it? <laughs> the delivery of that one. <laughs> it, is, it is nearing that time. It is I... your birthday. Collect £15 <laughs> from each Premier League this, player. My, so my Rafa has the, the kids version. And one of the cards is, you've eaten too many sweets, pay one million. 
that's a moral there as well. In an age of, of sugar addiction and diabetes, exactly. that's an important lesson. I like that. Is that anyway. like the weird French kids version? Because no my way. kids, Is my kids have the kids version to Monopoly Junior, and yeah. there's no millions. It's all just well, yeah. like one dollar, two dollars. No, it's one M. Inflation is just one million. It's one monopoly pound. One monopoly. It's one million. We call it That's how we roll. That's how we roll. We call it millions. Two of us has got the oligarchs version. Yeah, exactly. Got the Roman and. So Danny Alves. Yes, I think it would be a good idea for United. He still can't defend, but I think he had a good season. You know, I think offensively he's still. He's still a very good option, and and I think he's he would be a good player to have in a squad for free. And and his ex-wife is his agent, which I find amazing. So, I would. Sign I think it. it'd actually be a huge loss for definitely for Barcelona. I don't think they quite. I I think he's still a, a key a key player for them. And is there anything that we don't know in the negotiation though? It, it, it looks sort of a bit weird, you know. I'm sure in the end it'll get done. I thought he was going to sign. Was weird. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll get done in the end. But, yeah. You know, it's a talking point. It is. So I can contribute. I'm going to do this one. Uh, Gab, one for you. Uh, Rafa Benitez said farewell to Naples last night. Uh, did he do so on a high? Not really, because they lost 4-2 <laughs> at home. Good game. Uh, in a tremendous game against Lazio. Uh, they were 2-0 down. They battled back to 2-2. A uh, guy got sent off uh, for Lazio. And then Gonzalo Higuain, whom Rafa cruelly um, substituted at halftime the week before, was still so upset that he uh, took his penalty Jason Punchin style and uh, skied it out of the stadium and then the wheels came off and Lazio scored twice and won 4-2. That means that they finished the season in, in fifth place. I think it's kind of stupid to go, to look at Rafa Benitez and say like let's judge everything on his last game of the season but that's inevitably how it's going to, 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 to play out. He spent a large amount of money in net terms. They had a tremendous run in the Europa League this year but then he kind of threw it all away. Uh, they won the Coppa Italia last year. What I find most interesting about Rafa Benitez is that this is a totally different Rafa Benitez. This is a Napoli side with horrible defense, not much organization. They, they managed to concede 54 goals in 38 games, which is an absurdo amount uh, by any stretch. So I'm really curious to see whether he's undergone some kind of change or whether it was just a weird season or if his football philosophy has somehow evolved into this. But they did like him in Naples. That's all we've got time for this week and indeed uh, this season. Many, many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd, Julian Lawrence, Matt Hughes, and unexpectedly, Rory K. Smith. Many, many thanks to also the guests who've joined us in the course of a year. I'm wondering if I should name them, but I'll probably forget somebody, but it's still nice to be name-checked. So, George Culkin, my favorite guest of all, Ollie Kay, um, that guy who kind of looks like Rory and went to the same school <laughs> like as Rory, but whose name I don't... I don't recall. Ben Machel. Ben Machel. Yes, your your doppelganger. I'm forgetting people, aren't I? George Tony Evans, Clive Barrett, Petty. Evo. No, I don't Petty. think we've had Tony Barrett this year, have we? We're not. Dickinson? No. We've had Matt Dickinson. Yes, we've had Matt Dickinson. On the Max phone. Rushton. Yes, Max he was Rushton amazing. When I wasn't here. <laughs> yeah, he was. Exactly. Well, it was me. It was me. Hughesing. Jules, Jules for that one. It was, yeah, it was, it was the show of the year. Yeah, definitely the show of the year. Max, Max, the Max, downloads for sure. Max Rushton asked the best question I've ever heard anyone ask a football journalist. What was that? He said to Hughes, Hughes "You've been at like, was like Arsenal Chelsea," and he said, "You you were at Arsenal Chelsea on Saturday," and Hughes, "You went yet?" Yeah. And Max Rushton went, "Did you have a nice time?" <laughs> there what? you go. Hitting all the spots <laughs> takes all sorts. So. Thank you to, how could we forget, James Scowcroft, the Joey, thinking yeah. man's ex-footballer, and Tony Cascarino, the other ex-footballer. <laughs> Jim Proudfoot, 
Oh yeah, Jim. Yeah, Jim, Jim Brown, yeah, yeah, the yeah, gold yeah. standard. I think my second, uh, actually probably my favorite English football commentator. I mentioned Clive Petty. Let's mention him yeah. again because he's our boss. Uh, we've had Stuart Robson on, man <laughs> beloved by Arsenal fans far and wide. Um, <laughs> I have yeah. said to Cascarino, thank you. This is the reason you're hearing this is because we have uh, I have a Dave McGuire in my ear. Of course, James Ducker from uh, uh, the Great Northwest. Sam Munnery, he's on the sports desk. Sam Munnery, of course, the person who's uh, on the sports desk. And <laughs> the person who's on the sports desk. <laughs> and, uh, he's on the online <laughs> sports desk and made a, another good contribution. Um, <laughs> And of course, thank you, special thank you to our producer, uh, Dave McGuire. Um, I'm the bloke. Sorry? Yeah, and what about Um, Phil, who does it when Dave's not here? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, thank you to Phil Brown, who does it when Dave's not here. All right, thank you to everybody who's filled in for Dave McGuire this year, not just Phil Brown, but the other ones. We appreciate all your support and feedback. Inshallah, we'll be back next year. Members get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of their subscription. I've noticed we've passed the 400,000 subscribers mark on thetimes.co.uk after it was stuck on 389,000 for seemingly five years. Um, (laughs) If you're not a member yet, you can take our one-pound digital trial today. You can just search Times Sport online. And it's all for your uh, viewing pleasure, your entertainment, and your education. See you next season, we hope. Bye-bye. Your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. 